Welcome everyone to the Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Can you dig it? Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 108, Blowing Up the Spot. It's sponsored by Manny's Ambulance Service. If you're looking for an emergency medical technician so discreet that his ambulance can get shot, an otherworldly weapon, and not even get noticed, he's your guy. Pete, want to give a big thanks to all our listeners sticking with us as we continue here through Luke Cage, going through quite an exciting run on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., happy to have launched a couple of episodes into the Iron Fist podcast last week, so we are going on on full full thrusters here, full, full power, man, and uh, just wanted to say glad we have everybody along listening with us. Matt, we've said it before. We'll say it again. We have Fantastic Geek has the greatest, the most fantastic fans and listeners. The Lowdown, where we review what's going on in the episode. Pete. Matt, we begin almost immediately where we left off in Marcus Garvey Park there. Luke has been shot. Uh, looks over to see a uh, a Hummer. Um, Claire's working on him, trying to get him through this, and uh, just about everybody is shocked that uh, he has been harmed by this bullet. We see um, Diamondback loading his clip again with these rather large hammer bullets, and as Luke is wheeled into Manny's ambulance, uh, Diamondback realizes he's not going to be able to finish things off just this moment. It's uh, some interesting camera work here. We have super wide shots of Luke crying out, intense close-ups of Diamondback, uh, the interior point of view shots of Luke trying to remain conscious, and then uh, we get that uh, exposition about the discreet ambulance driver manny he he ran with claire's father back in the day uh she tries to find out who the shooter was luke said he didn't see either and uh, they are both so shocked that a bullet has pierced his skin uh there's some exposition that there's no exit wound and uh luke confirms this you know he he can feel it still inside him and uh, she wants to get a look at the bullet that pete we cut to the exterior of the ambulance and i like that the show doesn't go for no pun intended all guns blazing here there's like a soft explosion underneath the ambulance that then leads it to be flipped on its side i did a double take and uh this episode eight being the first episode that came after the seven that were distributed as previews i you know was like all right wait a second uh, am I not remembering some other piece of munitions that Diamondback might have had in his arsenal that would barely make a noise and, and allow this to happen? Um, and it actually takes the exposition of, oh, all right, we got shot. That's why we're over on our side here to understand, because it almost came off more like an accident than an intentional thing. 
I uh, I suspect here's what the discussion was in in the production end of things. If it's a big giant explosion, everyone's going to call nine one one, NYPD, anti terror, this that the other. If it's just kind of like, you know, oh I didn't see what happened, but now there's an ambulance on its side. Hey, that's really unfortunate. You know what? Sometimes vehicles end up in a in a crash or on its side or whatever. Um, I could believe that Diamondback has some sort of silent. Um, Silent this or no sound that. Um, and in, indeed, Pete, speaking of Diamondback, this uh, teaser act ends with Diamondback first in the shadows, walking into the light. Boom, we get his face there. And oh, by the way, in the title card, if you didn't know already that uh, they've they've done the switcheroo here, trading out Mahershala Ali's uh, Cottonmouth for Eric LeRae Harvey's Diamondback, there's Eric LeRae Harvey in the credits. Well deserved, and uh, having been introduced to him as uh, an actor there at New York Comic Con, as we were, uh, th- this was certainly something uh, worth the wait to finally get him in the series. Coming back from the credits, we see that Manny, Claire, and Luke are okay. The latter two find their way out, and that's Pete when we hear, Can you dig it? Pete, that's from the New York Comic Con when we saw Eric Larray Harvey. Wait a yes, minute. It's all connected. He came onto the stage there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Matt, of course, is like, wait a minute, what's going on? And people are losing their mind. <laughs> this is not Remy Danton from House of Cards. I'm confused who this guy is. <laughs> Remy Danton. Um, of course, referring to the character that uh, Mahashrala Ali's uh, uh, known for from the other Netflix show. Um, but uh, can you dig it, Matt? Of course, being from? Being from the Warriors. And uh, he, he follows up with a, uh, with a second line there. The, the infamous come out to play, yay. Right. And- the more known line from that but luke is immediately recognizing things from his past every friday at the drive-in the warriors the warriors of course being the uh the ode to the odyssey set of course in 1970s uh futuristic uh apocalyptic gang culture <laughs> theme gang culture yeah uh <laughs> the big apple is so rotten now it has theme gangs um, but yes, yeah, certainly it's made clear to us. Luke seems to possibly know who this is. There are some sirens heard in the distance, and uh, Diamondback pulls away uh, very believably. You know, I mean, good response time for those first responders, but also Diamondback knowing he can he can slither back to the shadows uh, and uh, and resume his attack at a later point. And um, we also see Luke and Claire slinking away as well, and Pete. Uh, Speaking of of snaky types, mm-hmm. back at Harlem's Paradise, Mariah is shaken. Yeah, the uh, the shroud covered uh, body of uh, her cousin there. The flashback to her delivering the coup de gras with the microphone stand and uh, shades in this episode immediately jumping in. Are you having second thoughts here? Um, you know the the doubt creeping in. Um, very interesting how their dynamic has been portrayed, uh, in these last couple episodes. 
it is and, and it's something that she uh she hinted at a little bit uh or, or you sensed a bit in the in the, the previous episode uh where she was was unable to strike him um here and, and even in a little bit uh it, it's uh it's discussed by the characters uh, first though he hammers home she needs to stick to the story every great lie runs parallel to the truth ain't that the truth uh there's the reminder there that dna is their friend and their enemy shades bids her to clean up and change her clothes and this pete is where we have a really really interesting uh intercut between different times in the story something i haven't quite seen before he's telling her to go change her clothes we then see misty with the nypd and they're searching and this intercut continues shades is prepping her story uh he's concerned about double checking the bottle that uh that uh, uh cottonmouth was hit with meanwhile misty is envisioning the fall and there's there's there's, there's this dreamlike quality to it where literally as you're watching you're at multiple points in time yeah, and um, I think part of it is her ability to reimagine the uh, the crime scenes that we've seen before, um, and you know we we've got the actual uh, deeds of the murder, we've got the cover up of the murder, and then the investigation of the murder all happening <laughs> within this scene. And even some of it happening within the the camera, uh, we've seen before how some of these uh, flashbacks are, are done with a camera move and a lighting change. Uh, Misty envisioning uh, Stokes crawling past her um, is done with what I'm assuming is a stuntman. I, I dare say you're not going to ask Mr. Ali to come back <laughs> merely to to crawl face down. But well, um, he was, you know, that's him when he comes out of the window, and um, you know, obviously they shot this where his face was visible and then you've got the stunt man you know on his on his uh on his belly um but you know as the visualist the the crime scene guy refers to misty it's it's effective at the same time slightly jarring shades uh continues to speak to her again kind of in this somewhat out of time uh, portion of the story here, Shades continues to speak almost down to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tells her, throw everything out and it'll be taken care of. And she notes that, you know, as if I'm a child. Yeah. And, and it's, it's great here to call out his fantastic performance. He's being menacing and prodding at the same time. He's being both kind of um, uh, paternal and 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 filial at the same time it's it, it's really weird it's well, really really wonderful paternal filial and then how about the idea when this is all over he tells her you can go back to being the sexy lady not gonna say the the b word <laughs> <laughs> um that we all hate to love uh, <laughs> yeah there there's so much going on here with uh Theo Rossi, who Pete, it seems each each podcast we are singing the praises of Mr. Rossi there. With that, Mariah is off to change and uh, Shades beats Stokes in the face. And again, because of this timelessness to how this is being presented, Misty then sees that Stokes has been beaten, but no trail of blood. So well, did you notice he put on the gloves, he put on a second pair of gloves, the yellow gloves, which are later referred to. 
Pete, that I did not catch. So yes. good, good catch on your end there. Well, I have uh, seen the episode three times at this point. <laughs> uh, Misty uh, spies the reserves, uh, Councilwoman Dillard in the balcony. So we're kind of back at the present time, if you will. Uh, and here, Alfre Woodard plays Mariah, playing the morning cousin slash foster mother. I mean, again, there's this duality of the actress playing the character and the character is playing something that isn't quite true. She explains that that she got in through that VIP entrance. It's got that special code to keep out the paparazzi. She found tears and sadness, and 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 she found the body. And then Pete, is that a sound? It's the sound of Candace sobbing. Good old trusty Candace. Is she a patsy? No, but her story is that she saw Luke Cage. Right, and with Alfred Woodard's performance here between the the change in outfit the change in hairstyle you know there was this uh you know club going persona before and now she's got her i've i've been roused out of bed and have thrown my hair back yet i'm wearing a blazer uh you know always there cousin frustrated no uh or i'm sorry mad no frustrated yes the, the whole thing I raised him all that and and she gives you the the concern and the disappointment we get the quickest of cuts to cage and Claire how's that for alliteration uh still walking uh then uh, back to Mariah talking to the media outside the police station Mariah the lousy politician and supposed builder blames the media and claims that outsiders like Luke Cage are the ones to blame Oh boy. <laughs> um, yeah, this is delightful fiction, isn't it, Matt? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> as, it's as you had noted before on, on Twitter, uh, before we're podcasting this, that you've got a, a, a New York City builder and politician who uh chides the media and uh and doesn't like people from outside of the community. What what delightful fiction. <laughs> Mariah wraps up her presser and Claire and Luke uh, kind of concurrent to that stumble into some kind of medical location. Pete, I used my detective skills as that <laughs> medical location was unfolded to see that it is a, a, a clinic for the ladies. Um, on Boy, account did, of... the, uh, did, did the picture of the human female reproductive system in the background, uh, the same that was in my dad's office, uh, bringing you to that conclusion perhaps we should note to newer listeners pete that that wasn't just uh just art in your father's office no. but rather his his <laughs> profession was ladies health yes um and uh, uh in fact he delivered the man i'm talking to right now indeed in the in the smallest of worlds yes. and something we only discovered uh about a year ago yes your 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 dad indeed did deliver me so but not um, in a, a women's health clinic in harlem that is true. That is true. Um, Claire is set to sterilize the area, and uh, he can feel what she's doing a bit. Uh, she is having trouble getting in there with the scalpel. Um, it seems that his his soft skin, which should be soft, is impenetrable. A cringeworthy scene, Pete, but cringeworthy in the best sense possible. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm watching this like, all right, we we know the guy's bulletproof. How are they going to pull it out of them? And kudos to the writer for committing and staying with this, not, 
oh, but it's magic, you know, bullets that can uh, penetrate him, yet it can also come out. And, you know, you see the wound, which is one thing. Uh, but then when we ultimately, you know, start to probe it, um, you know, they maintain those qualities, which, you know, again, uh, big ups to the, uh, the production team for maintaining. Yeah. The notion that he, he takes the scalpel himself and then it bends on his wound. It's like this great flip on the invulnerable Superman trope. I mean, I'm sitting here going, all we need is just a little bit of kryptonite and, oh wait, no, there is no kryptonite. There is no easy, like, well, there's the thing that makes him human. So if we can just shoot red solar rays, then the yellow rays of this, no, there is no, there's no way out. And insofar as I have not seen the next episode, I have no idea how his situation improves. Um, And I like that. Beg the question watching this. How did it get in if uh, everything is so impenetrable? And I get it, you know, it's otherworldly technology, yet it got through. So, some kind of explanation within O Magic Science, I think, is at least demanded given the way particularly the the episode resolves itself but once he he bends that scalpel you know there's there's a moment there you're you're cringing as he's going in and then you're like wow all right he's he's in trouble the story returns to the police station where misty is questioning candy candy says she was cottonmouth's <coughs> friend you know <laughs> like friend friend um she had showered but totally totally before the fight she came out of the shower you know because she had to shower you know uh she came out and saw luke cage hitting Cottonmouth. and pete it's around this time that the character i like to call high-powered lawyer comes in <laughs> he's ready to pull her he's gonna pull her that's it we're gonna leave he lets her continue to spill that cage story which is not weak writing it's great i'm 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 a lawyer at the edge of good and bad type stuff um misty is on the trail but she cannot nail candy down if you are referring to danny johnson matt playing uh mr benjamin donovan esquire then yes that would be mr high power lawyer last seen representing cottonmouth prior to that of course uh lending some legal counsel to one wilson fisk so Candy is is pulled from this in the hallway. Uh, Mariah is wait, out there. Wait, wait, so somebody in a police station uh, pulled some candy. <laughs> oh boy! Um, in the hallway, Mariah is wrapping up a call of support. She sees Candy leave, uh, and then that's where where Misty in full detective mode, almost a caricature which works well for the second half of the story because Misty is losing control here. So she's trying to kind of out detective the situation here, but that's when Misty turns the corner and says, Cornell was killed by someone close to him. Mariah asks Misty what she's got. And Pete, it turns out she ain't got, you know what? It was after she's seen there with, um, one of her flackies, uh, you know, um, Alex, 
generating what's going to go on the website and, and managing the PR of it all. Um, and it's particularly effective. Here are, are two outstanding actresses, two characters who are really in the thick of it in the middle of this story going toe to toe. And we know and they know everything about one another at this point. It's Mariah looking to spin this into some kind of success. It's Misty who has the passion and I think to quote her here, the, the hatred um, of uh, Mariah and the way that she, you know, uh, denigrates her own community for her own purposes. We have uh, Priscilla from uh, Internal Affairs watching, and she well, she's now over. the captain of the of the precinct. Indeed, Priscilla, formerly of Internal Affairs, now captain of the precinct. Um, she calls over to her friend Mariah. They confirm that they'll be having that lunch soon, and Mariah leaves. Um, it's nice to see though that Priscilla isn't quite in the bag for her soror. Uh, there's not a lot of evidence. Uh, against Cage or for Cage, but he certainly is a person of interest, uh, especially given Pete that he has ghosted on up out of there. Matt, a third strong uh, commanding woman in the African-American community joins the scene here, talks uh, education, okay, that they were sorority sisters, and uh, the, the painful subtext for Misty that she's on the outside. There's even a grin that she kind of makes off uh, camera there that uh, how am I going to combat this? Back we go to Luke and Claire. By the way, Claire, a, a fourth woman of color and uh, you know, taking charge of the situation here. She's brought the sonogram over to see if it's a boy or a girl or as it turns out, pieces of shrapnel that are still moving inside him, which is, I dare say, almost worse than the bullet itself. So um, we've gone from a Thor situation with uh, the origin of the metal in the bullet to an Iron Man situation with shrapnel moving around in his gut. And, I mean, you could say, Pete, that he was given his powers by some sort of super serum. There you go. All, the only thing uh, we haven't checked off yet is uh, some kind of Black Widow uh, Hawkeye situation. Maybe, Matt, just maybe. Uh he he was uh, he he worked for uh, an organization with a big uh, acronym name when he was a, a sheriff. Maybe Seagate stands for you know something <laughs> I don't know. But his phone rings and it's Claire who answers. Uh, on the other end is Misty who wants Luke to come on in and make a statement. Totally not tracing the call to find your location because we have a witness that click claire hangs up the phone but pete mr tech got close to it side note i would would wonder uh if if kind of average everyday law enforcement not that nypd is you know is uh mayberry but you know it, it certainly isn't the fbi um i just wonder if you can actually trace a cell phone call like that you know because i feel like it's just the smartphone version of 20 years ago and you know zoom in zoom in zoom in on the map we got him you know but anyhow well, he was clearly using some type of uh technology that i'm sure you need a warrant um to 
or, or special, you know, um, credentials to obviously possess. <laughs> we would hope, Pete, because the thought of warrantless wiretapping, that yeah. that would just be too much in this crazy, this crazy uh, MCU. Um, anyhow, they have it narrowed down to, to quite close to it. What's near there? There's a few shops, a clinic, you know, since the nurse answered the phone. With that, Misty declares she's off to do. And then Mr. Tech says something stupid because she wants to go get Luke herself. Back at Harlem's Paradise there, Shades is kind of drinking it all in. And uh, then some of uh, really the, the toughs, if you will, that we've seen before, the thugs in Cottonmouth's outfit stop on by. We've got uh, Zip and uh, a couple others here. Sugar being one of them. Sugar, exactly. Okay. And uh, he points out they did a real bang-up job protecting him. <laughs> Certainly their, their sins laid bare there. Uh, zip quick to uh, to upgrade, though, essentially saying that they want what Shades kind of uh, can posit is, is a severance. And uh, instead, Shades tells them that uh, they work for him now. Mariah might own the club, but Shades is the new man in charge now. And uh, with that, Zip is handed a wad of cash. Go get new clothes first class all the way. Yeah. If there's not, you know, if there's if there's not damnation by by praise and a sweaty pile of money, I don't know what is. It is a uh, it's a delicious scene in the way that you know he's lit with the purple here. There's that Mr. Purple. Yeah. <laughs> That regality, no, he's not suddenly able to tell people uh, what he wants and they do it, um, at least not that we're aware of, but uh, really well and interestingly lit and shot. And just the breathing, the the body language, the grinning, the, the pride that's taking place in this scene. Zip, who, of course, has has lost more small deals to Luke Cage than anyone else wonders if, uh, if, uh, shades isn't worried about Luke Cage. Um, but of course he isn't, he's not worried one bit and, uh, they leave and shades has his moment. He really seems to believe it, that he's the new man heading Cottonmouth's operation. Yeah. We, we understand, uh, implicitly that, uh, he still has, uh, his place in the Diamondback scheme of things, but there really is this moment where he, he feels elevated, and with that, we cut to Pops. NYPD is everywhere, and Pete, they found those aforementioned yellow bloody gloves. I wonder if it'll fit. <laughs> if not, well, you must have quit. Uh, from bloody gloves, we see a bloody cotton swab. Nice and for transition a second there. there you're kind of like, all right, are they 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 typing and crossing it so quickly? But instead, it's Claire, and uh, under the microscope there. Uh, pretty neat to see that his his cells uh, regenerate or or reject the epithelial cells are super elastic and energy absorbent. What does that mean? Well, <laughs> they can bend and they can reform quickly. With that, Misty arrives and she seems to want to hear his side and she's ready to accept his alibi, but then gets the call about the bloody glove. So now, all of a sudden, she's set to arrest Luke. Uh, that's when Claire sees the telltale sniper dot. They're being shot at, 
and uh, we we see the miss of that whirring bullet that eventually goes boom and blows up a cinder block wall. So this is what happened. I thought that was a great bit of visual storytelling. This is what went on inside Luke Cage, and he's a still alive, and B has a bunch of stuff inside him wherever or however far. I don't think it was a mistake that Claire talked about how the 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 cells that line his organs, um, you know, absorb energy. I'm sure he won't survive a second shot if that happens. But Misty calls in a 1013 shots fired. She squeezes off a few of her own. Uh, then she goes off to see if she can corner the shooter leaving Luke and Claire by the window and Pete a genuine moment where I jumped in my seat as Diamondback <laughs> reaches in. Uh, I mean, right out, right out of the, the scary movies. Uh, Claire stabs him, but then he's in the room. Uh, Luke is still bulletproof to normal bullets, but then Pete, Misty has a gun to her head. Yeah, this uh, confrontation between her and, uh, and Diamondback at the end of a gun as he uh, kind of kidnaps her, brings her out into the street. Uh, here he's laying it on the line here that Carl's taste in women hasn't changed. Frizzy hair and a tight frame. Who's Carl, though, Matt? Good question. Certainly we're picking up on, uh, on the implication of a, a past connection. As he's uh, calling Luke Carl and quoting the Bible... Diamondback is seductive and intelligent, and Eric LeRae Harvey is owning the screen as Diamondback threatens Misty's life. Uh, and we're saying, where's Luke? Where's Luke? Well, Luke finally stumbles out, um, and uh, he says that this is his cross to bear. You know, his his father being a preacher, and we're we're getting these these bits and pieces of the background that he has shared with Luke as well. Uh, Misty is uh, courageous. If you're going to shoot, go ahead and do it. And, uh, of course, doesn't end that way uh, because the series would be a very different situation, but knocks her out and uh, takes off. So it's kind of this cat and mouse game that's happening right here. Luke comes stumbling out and he's calling for Striker. So now we know Diamondback Striker. And uh, off Striker goes, uh, he shoots a lock off the Palace Theater, leaving blood on the door. That's convenient. Uh, Claire arrives uh, with Misty, and uh, you know Misty's going to make it. Luke stumbles along and notices a blood trail. That's convenient. He also then sees some blood on the theater door. That's convenient, too. <laughs> Uh, the interior lobby, though, Pete, real Harlem location. It's oh, my gorgeous. Just, just fantastic. A feast for the eyes. Oh, you know, that kind of Egyptian just style that, that jumps off the walls there. And what a place, what a location for them to be able to shoot in and, and to have this confrontation uh around it, it's like another character in and of itself luke calls out for striker and uh, the latter's uh voice his response 
It's muffled and echoey. He quotes scripture. He talks about hope on Sunday from Reverend Lucas, but fire and brimstone at the football game on Friday nights. And this is spellbinding staging here. Diamondback on the balcony, pulling Luke up the aisle with the sound of his voice until his gun and its Judas bullet is aimed right at Luke. There's some subtext before um, uh, that he was left to rot by Carl, that uh, his mother destroyed herself. um, And uh, obviously there is a little bit of a grudge there. You don't shoot somebody with the magic space bullet if you don't have a grudge. Luke admits that he wasn't a good friend and admits that Willis Stryker paid the price. Uh, He Notes that Stryker is a snake, a snake, Diamondback says, who has shed his skin to be something else, which I thought was just a great, (laughs) a great use of language there. And you could make the argument that, okay, um, this this big bad that we've had in the shadow for uh, the better part of seven episodes. Oh, he's really close to Luke and he was you know, the only person Cottonmouth feared and, and everything there, but it just deepens the story so much to learn of their connection, uh, that he was the quarterback, that, that uh, Luke, that Carl was the running back, that his father, that, that Carl's father was the coach, the, the surrogate dad, if you will, and, and things didn't work out and you know he lines him up there from the balcony and uh despite shooting in this rather uh you know storied and and culture rich uh setting what they were able to do next as a story point really shocked me oh yeah i mean right right before that moment diamondback is continuing with the religious language luke cage is the false idol he sent luke to hell but he came back with uh, superpowers and then just as diamondback is ready to fire luke bolts for that support beam and uh, pete i think if we went frame by frame we could see how maybe it's an imperfect effects shot but they move things so quickly that your mm-hmm. eyes not drawn to the imperfection. Instead, oh my goodness, they're tearing this 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 glorious uh, theater apart here. And uh, we see that quickly Stryker has fallen and is shaken, but he's ready to fight. I can't and- think of another instance in a in a real location like this when you've seen something this severe done to that location. <laughs> This fight, Pete, it's it's uh, bare knuckle. It's not sparse, but you know what? Through camera work, it's clear that Luke can be hurt if the wound is hit, but not if he's kicked a foot higher on his chest. Um, it's even enough. I mean, we see Diamondback getting uh, getting tossed around a bit, but he's always able to get those hits onto that wound. Ultimately, though, Luke is Luke. He's spitting blood. He's grabbing his stomach. But he can also throw Stryker out the theater and into the lobby with ease. Yeah, it's brutal in in the most intimate way that Luke has tracked him into this theater. That they're there uh, talking over their their backstory, what's gone on between them, and uh, you know once once that uh, that balcony uh, support's been taken out. You know, it's it's on. 
the uh, the fight though does conclude, and back we go to the police station where Claire is asleep. That means time has gone by. Uh, she was questioned for over an hour. Uh, Detective Priscilla tells Misty to let it go, but Misty invokes rapport with the witness and goes to talk to Claire herself. And that's the thing that Scarf used to do. Uh, R.I.P. Scarf, except for you were a bad guy too. Um, Claire won't share on where Luke is. And Claire shines in this scene, in part because she tells Misty that she's either weak or overwhelmed. And as Misty chokes out Claire, she asks how weak she is now. <laughs> it's it's great, you know, to to follow up the earlier scenes where uh, Misty went toe to toe with uh, Mariah to to get um, Simone Missick and uh Rosario Dawson here, two pros going at it, that it becomes physical, Matt, is just even that much better for the strength of their characters. Priscilla comes in just in time. She's uh, ready to press charges against Detective Knight if needed. Claire instead sneers and leaves. Uh, a powerful moment of, of, of no dialogue, but powerful. Restraint, even. Yes. Back we go to Luke, who's making his way out of the theater where it's dawn. It just, I know dawn, it's like, Pete, you can plan for it. You can get your film crew there in time. But man, they were shooting at dawn. It was just that, you know, it was it was just so clearly like they went out of their way to capture this 10 minute stretch of the day. It was really, uh, it, was, it was it was nice, if not for its, you know, bareness. Probably a, an overnight shoot. Um, you know, to, to get them at that time of day there, you know, the, the sun just coming up in the east. Back we go to Mariah, who's uh, in the back of a car talking with Candy, paying her off. She's not a, a lady of ill repute, just a businesswoman. And you never know what people are capable of. Pete, with that, Candy walks off. And who's the driver? That would be that would be Shades, Matt, and he wants to know if Candace Miller uh, is going to crack. Mariah says uh, says no. She she's a good girl, and uh, if she does talk, well, Mariah says, and they'll just simply have to kill everyone in the apartment, which would be a shame. Market value and all, you know. Duke Ellington used to used to live here. Uh, Shades murmurs, that's my girl. And Mariah does not look pleased with that. Pete, if we're going to be shipping them, I don't think Mariah's on board yet. Back in her home there, Mariah sits down, looks at a well-placed framed photo, and then we get the close-up here. It's Mama Mabel. And Matt, she dissolves into the photo. I'm not like you, she tells the photo. Uh yeah, even though you turned the photo down, um, yeah, you're still like her. Back we go to Luke, who is stumbling down the middle of the street, but Stryker is there too, calling him out. Judas won't fail to do the job a second time. Any last words? Luke says that that he's sorry, that 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 he loved Stryker like a brother, and Pete, that's where there's the the reveal. That's because Willis Diamondback Stryker tells Luke. He is his brother before shooting him with the Judas and depositing him 
in the back of an oddly waiting garbage truck, which then nicely cooperates and heads off with Luke, you know, sitting in the back. Either these guys didn't hear the shots fired and uh, a man fall in, just conveniently fall into the to the back of the garbage truck or don't care. It's so ostentatious and, and hand of the writer that I like it, Pete. It's just kind of out there going, we are going for the vis- visual symbolism of Luke is shot. He is discarded like garbage. He falls into a pile of garbage, which then disappears the way garbage does. I'll go for it, even though it's a little nonsensical. Pete, now we're going to talk about some bad... Shut your mouth. We're just talking about bad guys, Petey. Where are we starting? Willis Diamondback Striker, Matt. We finally put it all together here. And Eric LeRae Harvey, what a get for this Marvel Netflix series. Was brilliant in uh, Boardwalk Empire is really where I came to uh, to notice him and see him before. And uh, in this pool of African-American talent, he shines so brightly. He, he is vicious and hypnotic at the same time. It really it, it is something to behold. And Pete, the clip that they reviewed for us at the Marvel Netflix panel at New York Comic Con. That hasn't even happened yet in the show. So he's about to get more vicious. Uh, that much I know. Uh, let's talk about the vicious Mariah Dullard. Yeah, to see her having gone at the at, towards the end of last episode um, on her way out of town council, uh, leaving in shame, political career over to you know, a bad 24 hours and clawing her way back. Absolutely. Um, uh, a kaleidoscope of emotions that she has been through. Oh yeah. And let's not forget also the, the killing of her cousin and cover up of said crime. Uh, I mean, Alfred Woodard is just, is just taking, taking Mariah on this, uh, this emotional journey with ease. The snake, uh, monologue that, uh, Diamondback delivers so easily applies to Alfred Woodard's portrayal of uh, Mariah here and just the way that uh, she's she's constantly manipulating the circumstances. Yes, she got a little help from from Shades as far as putting herself back together after she she uh, killed her cousin. But uh, for her to look at that photo of Mama Mabel and and have to affirm to herself reaffirm i'm not like you when she's become exactly if not worse um you know it's it's a powerful moment pete we also see shades ascendant in this episode and i have to wonder you know is he perhaps looking to uh to branch out on his own listen he has uh been playing all sides to this point that he was sent there under the command of Diamondback, that um, he worked with Cottonmouth, that uh, Cottonmouth being out of the way now, he has cozied up 
in a in a very weird dynamic of a relationship with Mariah, and uh, he's a climber that uh, that shades. Keep an eye on him. Well, Pete, last on my list, I I almost hate to say this, hate to say this when we're talking about villains, but Misty Knight. I won't have it on uh, half of my podcast, Matt. So, <laughs> uh, uh-uh. uh. Well, Pete, we want to thank those who have said uh-huh to us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek, helping keep the cost of the podcast uh, attended to, uh, especially this time of year as it gets closer in the winter to uh, to uh, that that's bill needing to be squared. So thank you one and all. Uh, this is not easy to do, to, to podcast these shows, but our uh, patrons make it easy matt in the way that they support us and uh becomes that much easier to bring this to the masses the big picture where we break down the theories about the road ahead pete let's bite the bullet what theories do you have how do you get magic space bullet uh shrapnel out of an impenetrable man how how's luke gonna get out of this i i thought maybe for a minute uh claire was gonna try to rig up like magnet thing but uh matt what do you think's gonna happen here i have no idea i give them so much credit to uh, i mean clearly there's a writerly solution but i give them so much credit in, in that it's it's clear that they've written themselves into a, a supposed corner uh, and there is no easy way out. Um, I, I'm, I mean, there, as I said before, there is no kryptonite where you say, well, if all you have to do is just get a little bit and that will then weaken the skin enough to be able to blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I love not knowing. This is a great point. Here we are, you know, three quarters of the way through, give or take, and I have no idea where they're headed. Also, what we don't know is whether or not uh, Willis Diamondback Stryker is speaking the truth here, Matt, when he tells Luke Cage he's his brother. This this is Empire Strikes Back here, but instead of uh, a hand, it was a bullet. I buy Stryker at his word that he is claiming to be to be Luke's literal uh, brother, uh, having shared the father and all of that. Um, if so, it just adds this, I mean, adds this great family level to it, particularly for a character who, you know, here we are, uh, I know he wasn't in every episode of Jessica Jones, but 13 episodes of Jessica Jones, eight of this, he's always been a little distant to we, the audience and to have somebody who's so close to him, not just in his past, but surprises even closer. I mean, that's just inspired storytelling there from Chio Hidari Coker. word on the street where we hear from you the listener pete who is on the horn robert t frost matt writes into our facebook page and he writes matt and pete on the podcast for luke cage episode 107 manifest you raised a question about captain betty audrey and whether she would have been fired or reassigned first a little background i've been in law enforcement for 27 years and i'm on my second department. 
At my first department, I achieved the rank of sergeant, so I do have experience in the command structure. But wow, my department was considered fairly large in some police circles at 155 sworn officers from the chief on down. It didn't even come close to the size of the ultra-large departments like the NYPD, Chicago, or Los Angeles. But I'll throw you my best considered opinion. First, Cornell Stokes bragged that if he went down, he would take half the department with him. This sounded like bravado to me. He is not Wilson Fisk, so I think he possibly could take down half of the precinct, but not the whole of the NYPD. Also, it wasn't just Detective Scarf that we are concerned with, the little black book that wasn't enough on its own to send Cottonmouth to trial would be more than enough to investigate and fire the crooked officers. Let's consider who we know to be dirty. Detective Raphael Scarf, Lieutenant Manny Perez, and Sergeant McLean from the property room. The show leaves vague anyone else named in the little black book, but we are led to assume that there are more, possibly many more. The book would be more than enough to suspend the implicated officers and search an IA investigation, which would lead to termination at the very least and prosecution most likely, especially in the assumed climate that hovers over the department after the Kingpin scandal. Detective Knight would be severely scrutinized during the investigation by being Detective Scarf's partner. I truly believe that in real life, any detective in her position would be relieved of duty, at least temporarily, maybe not suspended or placed on administrative leave, but certainly moved into a, quote, less critical, end quote, uh, read less publicly visible position until she could be cleared of any wrongdoing. However, we have a TV show that must move forward, so that aspect is conveniently ignored. As an aside, if it came out during the IA investigation that she and Luke had sex, Ooh. it's getting racy here, Matt. My, my, oh, boy. My, uh, I'm sweating a little bit now. After her undercover foray, I have a very strong suspicion that she would be writing parka tickets for the rest of her <laughs> So, in my opinion... Captain Audrey would be reassigned. Like she said, her house, her watch. She is ultimately responsible for the officer's conduct under her command and ensuring that the public trust is well-placed. I don't believe she would be fired because she was not involved with Cottonmouth. However, the house cleaning will commence and the broom would start in her office. If the problem of corruption was limited to just one detective, I think she would be reprimanded, but okay. But since we know of at least three corrupt officers and two of those three are command officers, good luck in your next assignment, Captain Betty Audrey. <laughs> I also like how the show brought in Inspector Ridley to assume command of the precinct. A little Google foo reveals that an inspector is two ranks higher than a captain in the NYPD. That feels right, at least politically, to show that the administration is taking the corruption seriously and doing something about it. My apologies for being uh, such a long post, but it's uh, an involved question. As always, keep up the excellence in podcasting. Fantastic Geek 
is the high bar to which other podcasts only wish they could achieve your friend bob i'm i'm just first off thank you for saying that and and you know uh secondly but but uh, more importantly uh what a comprehensive answer and i feel a lot better about that storyline now if just still a little uh not guilty but i, I feel bad that Audrey had to take the uh, take the fall when she wasn't doing anything bad, at least that we don't know uh, to this point. Yeah. And I mean, some some great, great, great analysis there from Bob. Uh, it, it all makes a ton of sense. I think that collectively as an audience, we can understand it's just not uh, it's not narratively um acceptable for lack of a better word it's not narratively acceptable for the full rational consequence to fall on misty because you know because we understand it's a constructed fiction but aside from that it seems like the precinct is running um as it should after this stuff has come out uh, i would even argue that um that the fact that we've seen uh scarf and the other two officers be be outed as corrupt i know that that is by no means half of the half of the precinct but in terms of kind of named or semi-named characters um not you know joe detective in the back during the the all hands meeting of 10 people um in terms of kind of named people at the precinct you know it's about half it's enough to give the impression of a whole huge percentage of the people that we've seen um, again, kind of falling within the confines of, of how TV and film works. Um, so I'm glad to hear from a pro like Bob that the show is is doing its best to reflect um, what would happen in, in a police department where this has occurred. And again, you make some you make some allowances for drama, and that's simply how it goes. But uh, thanks again, Bob. Well, Pete, it now comes the time where I say that if uh, people want to be in touch with you, other than on the Facebook, which we'll talk about in a second, how can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 8,524 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That is fantastic with the P and the H on fantasticgeek.com, fantasticgeek at gmail.com, fantasticgeek on Instagram, and of course, fantasticgeek on Twitter. But wait, Pete, there's more. How can people be like Bob? They hashtag, go, hashtag be like Bob. <laughs> they can go to uh, facebook.com forward slash fantasticgeek, again, with the PH, all one word, like us, and you'll be plugged into everything we do, not just Luke Cage, not just Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You get that iron fist that's out there now. You get the daredevil the jessica jones agent carter and a little thing we call star trek discovery which is coming in the spring <laughs> it's a great time to be alive for podcasting uh well pete we will be back in just a few short days to be podcasting episode 109 but thus comes the end for episode 108 oh my 108 so i will say adios to all our listeners and give you pete the final word come out and play it